I want to read to you uh, a psalm, Psalm 89, and then I want to talk about it. And I just want to say um, a lot of what I want to say I've nicked from different places, but I didn't, shouldn't need to say that because everything I say is nicked because I don't have an original thought in my head. <coughs> but also, this has really been speaking to me recently, and this is why I want to share it with you. Um, and uh, God has spoken to me, and I hope he will speak to you. Um, no, it's not. What am I doing? It's Psalm 88, not 89. What happened there? And uh, this is a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, for the director of music, according to Machalath Leonoth, whatever that is, a maskil of Heman the Israelite. What that basically means is some bloke called Heman wrote it, okay? And Heman was one of the worship leaders of Israel. Uh, uh, he's mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 as the head of a clan of the worshippers of Israel. And this is his offering in Israel's hymn book. Psalm 88, I'm going to read the whole thing. Get ready. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one who's, I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. He was what you call a happy chappy. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. <coughs> They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's it. Happy? That's it. Do you know one third of the Psalms are called Psalms of Lament? They're Psalms of whether it's complaint or intercession or, or Psalms of longing. They're psalms of, I long, for, I long for more, I long for something. And, and, and they, they finish, even the psalms of lament finish with, yet will I praise you, yet will I acknowledge you, yet will I say, 
um, that, that you are God. Um, and they, they finish on a positive note, and then except for two, there's two of the 150 Psalms that have nothing positive in them, seemingly. They don't finish with, yet I trust that you're the Lord. This is one of them. The other one is Psalm 39. And this one finishes with, um, my, my closest friend is the darkness. The last word in this psalm, in the Hebrew, is darkness. And he, he, he gives his complaint to God, and he really moans. He really complains, and he says it. It seems like he's been close to death for a lot of his life. It seems that there's been uh, issues. Uh, uh, you've taken away all my friends. I'm repulsive to them. I don't, we don't know exactly what happened to him. He doesn't tell us details, but life is not good. In fact, life is very bad. What does this say to us? I believe the first thing it says to us, because my, my question is, why, why did you let this get in the book? I mean, where on earth, in, in a worship service, do you sing this one? Where on earth do we put this in? And, and I think the answer is, it's in the book because the Bible is really real. Because the Bible is really real. And the truth is, this guy was saved. He says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread my hands before you. <coughs> he was one of the saved. And yet, this seemed to be his life. And when we come to Jesus, it does not mean that everything ends up wonderful. Have you noticed that? When we become Christians, it doesn't mean that, that all the pain is taken away, that we never get colds or coughs, which is really huge, guys, uh, that we never have anything that goes wrong in our lives. That's not true. And the truth is that we can be followers of Jesus and we are not immune. In fact, Jesus says to the disciples in John's gospel, you will have trouble in this world. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's the truth. And there are false gospels doing the rounds that, that, that make you think that if you become a Christian, they give false promises, then everything will be all right. Then nothing will ever go wrong. That, that everything will be hunky-dory. That's not Bible. That's not true. That's why this psalm is in the songs of worship of Israel. And <clears throat> the first thing about um, Heman is that his external circumstances appear to not be worse. They're terrible. He's lost all his friends. He's close to death. There's this wrong, there's that wrong, and he lists them. He lists them. But you know what? When our external circumstances are bad, if inside of us we've still got hope, if inside of us there's still a little bit of joy, then you know it's bearable. But when it becomes unbearable is when the external circumstances all seem against us and inside it's nothing. Inside it's what he calls darkness. Darkness surrounds me. When, when actually there's no hope from within or from without. And sometimes I keep meeting Christians 
I keep meeting Christians who say quietly, this is me. This is me. And I go to churches, and I've been to too many, I have to say it, I have to speak out, where, where I'm sitting there and, and the leader is, is um, how are we doing today? Are we happy? Are we happy in Jesus? Yes, says everyone. Are we praising God? Yes, says everyone. Um, uh, are we rejoicing? Yes, says everyone. And we go through. Are we counting? Yes, and all of that. And then after the service, different ones come up quietly and say, well, actually, everything's darkness for me. Actually, I'm really struggling. Actually, life really hurts. And it feels like it's been going on forever. It feels like it just goes on and on and on. And this is killing. And what happens to some of the, many of these folk is after a while, they can't, they can't smile anymore. They can't pretend anymore. And they quietly disappear out the back. They do. They quietly disappear out the back And usually nobody notices. And uh, I believe that God wants to speak to anyone who's in that place. Because there is a gospel for those of us in that place. And I believe in rejoicing in the Lord. I believe in the joy of the Lord. I believe that. But it doesn't come by pretending the first step is it comes with being honest of here, of here I am now. What's the first thing? The first lesson from this psalm is that actually being a Christian, being saved, does not make you immune from hardship, from problems, from difficulties, from darkness, from gray days, from what the, the, the mystics would call the dark night of the soul. It doesn't make us immune from that. And he even, you know, <coughs> he even uh, starts getting almost sarcastic with God. Listen to what he says, verse 10. Do you, show, do you show your wonders to the dead? You know, I could die any minute. How's that going to help? I want to I I tell others about you. I'm supposed to be a worship leader. I'm supposed to be a, uh, uh, Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? And and the implied answer is, no, they're not. So why have you sent me there? Why are you sending me there? And it's almost on the verge of blasphemy, in a sense. Uh, The way he's moaning and complaining to God. But what's the second lesson? The second lesson is it's in the book because God is big enough. Because God is full of grace. And he takes us with our complaint. And he takes us in our darkness. And he wraps his arms of love around us when we're telling him that he isn't. When we're telling him that he's far away. He bleeds for us when we tell him he doesn't care. He weeps for us when we tell him he's forgotten us and he doesn't even know that we're there. He's like a father 
whose child just says, go away, go away, you're not there, I'm on my own, no one loves me. Or a mother who wants to say, come here, come here, but, but they won't let them for a while. And this is in the book because it speaks of God's grace, even when he's exaggerating and complaining. And I think there's exaggeration here. And I don't know about you, but am I the only one who exaggerates during low times? Have, have I told you about my cold? I mean, have, have I... Guys, it's, it's been years. I've had this cough and cold for years. I mean, it's worse than anything you've ever had. It's like my nose is complete... Oh, I can't hear. I'm, almost, I'm virtually deaf, both ears. It's terrible. I, 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 I mean, it's, it's awful. I'm, it's all over. Oh, the agony. Oh, the pain. Am I the only hypochondriac in this room? Does anyone recognize when, when stuff goes wrong? I don't know about you, but I double it. I don't, and I don't think it's just being Greek. I double it. I just make it, oh, oh, oh. And I think this is what this psalmist does. Because he's written some other psalms. He's listed amongst the, the psalmists. And they're not all like this. <coughs> And he led worship for Israel. And, and, if, and another thing, if you don't believe that, you know there's an, the other psalm that doesn't finish with any good thing? Psalm 39. Do you know who wrote that one? Flipping King David wrote that one. David, the great king of Israel. And just listen, I won't read you the whole psalm because we'll spend the whole day reading psalms. But he finishes with this. This is the last lines of David's depressive psalm. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner. This is Israel's greatest king. He had days when he was like, I live with you as a foreigner. And I just wonder what the Lord was wanting to say to him at that point. Really, Dave? A stranger, as all my ancestors were. Oh, Lord, let's bring in the ancestors. All my relatives, you've never loved any of us, God. You've always had a thing about pillowarchies. <laughs> or David's. And listen to this. Listen how it ends. <laughs> Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. I mean, he actually says, this is David, you know. You know, like, um, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. Where else would I be? You know, I just love being in your presence. Look away from me. Just, just turn your eyes from me so that I could be happy again. I'm not happy when you look at me. So that I could just die and be no more. This is David. And God's grace is bigger. God's grace is bigger. If you're in that place, so was Dave. So were many others. You don't need to pretend. And what's great about both of these guys is they said it to God. They said it to God. He is big enough. He is big enough. You take it to him. His love is bigger than your pain. <coughs> his his mercy is bigger than your complaint. He can take it all 
and a whole load more because of who he is. So, number one, number one, this can be our state even as followers of Jesus. Number two, his grace and his mercy is bigger. His grace and his mercy is bigger. Number three, this is the place, this is the place where God changes us. This is the place where God does deep surgery in us. It's usually in the place of suffering. Do you know when everything's going right, when everything's going great, when there's never a problem, I don't know about you, but I don't change very much in those moments. I don't want to change. You know, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to carry on. And everything's great. And there's no invitation to change. But God, what is it? What's that C.S. Lewis quote? He, he whispers, we don't know. Well, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis, um, which Andy should have uh, in his mind, because he could have been preaching this morning, and he should have prepared. And, uh, um, but basically, it ends with, he shouts in our pains. He shouts in our pains. And what he does in the midst of our brokenness, when everything seems dark, when everything seems like I've got nothing left, I don't know where I am or where I'm going, and in the end, he finds you there. He finds you there. When in the end, it changes everything. Just look at Job. I mean, the story of Job is, I don't know whether to call it amazing or horrific or both. I, I, when, I've, when I've read the Bible through, the hardest, the hardest book, I'll be honest with you, for me to read is Job. It kills me. I would have thought it would be Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers. They're a piece of cake compared to Job. It's page after page of depression and his three comforters, so-called comforters. When I meet them in heaven, I'm going to kick their heads in because I've had to endure day after day of page after page of, oh, it's because you did this. It's because you're not this. It must be because... That God's like this. And Job joins in and they do that. And, and do you know how the story begins? Um, verse 8 of chapter 1 of Job. Then the Lord said to Satan, <coughs> Have you considered my servant Job? It's like he's a dad who's proud. Have you considered uh, my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything you, he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And do you know, Satan has that question about Job and most of us have that question about us. That's often been my question about me. You know what? Am I in this for me, Jesus, or for you? Am I in this because, because 
so that my life may be all right or because I love you? Am I, you, you know, we, lots of us know when we think someone's our friend and then we find out that they weren't really, that they wanted something from us, that they wanted, uh, they wanted to meet someone that we knew or they wanted something else from us and the pain of that. And I wonder sometimes when, you know, like sometimes I, I've questioned in the past and not in the recent past sometimes as well, I'm sure. You know, Lord, am I in this because for me or for you? And do you know what happens? When everything seems to be stripped away, when we end up at rock bottom, when we seem to have nothing, and when we even don't sense that we feel God's presence anymore. Do you know that's what happened to Mother Teresa? I discovered recently that Mother Teresa, for years in her life, she... She, she just felt she was far away from God. And she puzzled about that. And then she felt God say to her, if you will still walk with me when there isn't even the feeling, if you will still obey me, then, then there's a purity in your love that comes. And, and I've noticed that all the great, the, so many of the people that God uses powerfully in Scripture and outside Scripture, nearly all of them have a dark night of the soul. Nearly all of them have to walk through a desert. Nearly all of them are refined. They're refined. Those whom God loves, he disciplines. Those whom God loves, he, he you know, it's, it's when you, is it when you crush coal that you get a diamond? It's when you, it's when you, you crush that. That's when the goodness comes. And, and I believe out of this, look what happened to David. Look what happened to David, Israel's great king. And he was formed in the suffering of all those early years. The persecution, the persecution of Saul when he was looking for him. For years he was in the wilderness. Then his own son, Absalom, turned against him. There were all these times. And actually what that does is it refines us and when we reach the worst of ourselves and we can say, I'm still here, God. I'm still here. Somehow I'm still here. And what he does is in the suffering, he changes us. After you get to the 31st, if you get through the first 37 chapters of Job, <coughs> then God speaks. Having had Job and all his counselors tweet their nonsense then here we go then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm he said who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge brace yourself like a man now you've questioned me now I will question you and you shall answer me where were you? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. <coughs> and then again and again and again. And he says, You know what? You've been questioning me. Let me question you now. And listen to Job's reply. This is amazing. Then verse chapter 42, then Job replied to the Lord, 
I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I love that. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Now I get it. Sometimes all we can do is embrace the mystery. Sometimes we don't have the answers. Even the best apologetics don't provide them. But you know what? As we embrace the mystery, he embraces us. And when we find him in the darkest place, the rest is easy. The rest is easy. So, in the worst places, just because we're Christians, we're not immune from suffering, inner or outer. God is full of grace. His grace extends beyond our complaints, beyond our moans. It's bigger than the suffering. In the pain and in the darkness, he changes us. He absolutely flipping changes us. And we find him, we find him in a whole new way. And finally, and finally, this is amazing. The, um, let me go back. Psalm 88. Darkness is my closest friend. Then let's go. I've just gone and lost the passage to Psalm 39. And then Psalm 39. The end. This is David. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Look away from me, says David at the end of his psalm. Darkness is my closest friend, says Heman at the end of his psalm. Put them together, what do you get? You get Jesus on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, day turned to night and a great darkness came over that place. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your face from me? And whether we feel it or not, whether we believe it or not, he went through everything we could possibly go through and more. Darkness and abandonment so that God would never leave us without his light or without his presence even in the times when we are complaining at him and moaning at him that he has done exactly that 
exactly that. That's how it works. That's why this psalm is in the book. Because Romans 8.28 really does tell us that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And we can prove it true. We want to be a church where we seek wholeness, where we seek joy, where we seek to rejoice. But we want to also be a church, as we keep saying, where it's okay not to be okay. Where sometimes when life hurts, this is okay to be honest. If Heman and Dave could do it, I think we're allowed. And God is big enough. God is big enough. And as we do, that's the beginning of a journey to wholeness. That's the beginning of a journey to life. That's the beginning of a journey where we eventually look back and we can say, "Mm, it was really bad, but I think I might have even exaggerated that a little bit. 